it is my privilege as your pastor to be able to preach the word. And so I want to invite you to join with me as we turn to God's word. And we, we are looking at a very uh, short passage as Jesus actually in the larger context is teaching on prayer. Let's look at Luke chapter 11. We've been talking about this verse actually on and off throughout this series, the Let the Wind Blow series. Would you, would you stand with me as we turn to this? Luke 11 chapter 11 verse 11 down through verse 13 just a couple of verses here but let's use this as our launching point and our hope this morning these are Jesus's words to his church may we receive everything he intends for us today so let's pray this prayer together Lord this is your word to me today may it be a lamp into my feet and a light into my path Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hear what he has for us today. Jesus says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's good news this morning. May uh, the Lord be praised. You can be seated. Well, again, today is Pentecost. Today, we celebrate the fact that the Holy Spirit has been given to the church by Jesus Christ. He said he would not leave us as orphans, and because of the Spirit, we have not been left as orphans. And Jesus said, when he comes, you will receive power. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment here, because in the church today, when we think of power, Often, far too often, I think, we think in terms of politics, right or left. We think in terms of the, the political, of elections, who's going to win. We want these kind of people on the Supreme Court, or we want uh, these kinds of laws. We want the freedom to do that, or we should not as a nation be doing this. But I want to remind you this morning, I do not believe that is the power that Jesus is describing at that moment when he ascends into heaven. His was a power instead that could genuinely change lives and bring healing to the nations and justice to the oppressed. A freedom to live in the shadow of his kingdom and his light. And that power is available to us this morning. Now, I realize, maybe honestly, you're kind of tired of me talking about the Spirit. We've, we've been talking about this. You've been kind of drumming this into our minds and trying to reinforce this, but, but, but I want to take another opportunity on this beautiful day as we, as we talk about the Spirit to give you an invitation to make certain that you have had your own personal encounter and opportunity to be filled up to overflowing with God's spirit because he said you can have this. This is yours. It is your, it is your right as a child of God to experience all that God wants for you. And so I want to ask you, do you know what I'm talking about? 
not only do you know what I'm talking about, do you know who I am talking about? You see, I, I know this. God is willing this morning to give his church his power. And I want this passage in Luke 11 to burn in our minds and in our hearts. Look what Jesus says about you and me. In this story, we are the children. We're the son. We're the daughter. Toddler, really. We, we can't fend for ourselves. We couldn't figure it out. We can't feed ourselves. But all we need to do is ask. The only person that, that dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. is the king's son or the king's daughter, is the king's little kid. You can do that when you're the child of the king. I have 20-somethings living in my house. Sometimes they still can't fend for themselves or feed themselves, and they're waiting for mom to get home to make dinner. But, but they're desperate. They're hungry. But look at God. The Father here is ever watching, ever merciful, ever kind, who just loves to give. It's his heart. He says, all you need to do is ask. This is what the Holy Spirit keeps impressing on me. We need to become aware. We need to wake up. We need to become more aware of two things. These are the two things. I have a great need and I have a great God who's willing to meet that need. Would you, would you just say that with me? It's up here on the screen. These two things, let's say it together. I have a great need. I have a great God willing to meet that need. If we know those two things, boy, things change. Because when you realize your great need and you realize today that you truly do have a great, gracious, giving God, that is faith, listen, you will become a person of great prayer. Last week, we saw how Luke demonstrates that the Holy Spirit comes, interestingly enough, in answer to prayer. When did the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus? Well, we saw Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22 says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily like a dove. Jesus was praying. And what was he praying for? Well, it seems to me he was praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon him. And when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, Luke makes sure for us to know what was happening, what was the church doing, what they were thinking. And the Bible says, and all these were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. They, they prayed for 10 days. This wasn't a, just a kind of a nice 30-second uh, bow to, to the idea. This was an intense desire. It was something that they wanted because they knew that Jesus had promised. And so at Pentecost, he came. And you say, Pastor, well, that was just Pentecost. That was a one-time thing. That was really neat. It's a great story. But the reality is it wasn't just a one-time thing. In Acts 4, the church... That very church is under intense persecution. Things are, are getting dicey. People are opposing them. What do they do? They pray. 
And when they had prayed, Luke reports, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they prayed. When the church prayed, the Holy Spirit comes. When Jesus prayed, the Holy Spirit comes. What can we expect when we get serious about prayer? The Holy Spirit will come. Revival then, spiritual awakening comes when God's people get serious about prayer. And, and, and I, I want to tell you then this simple truth. When you become aware of these two things, I have a great need and I have a great God willing to meet that need. You become a person of great prayer. It will just happen. A lot of you have a problem, and I know this. When was the last time you really prayed? A lot of us have a lot of problem maintaining a disciplined prayer life. And yes, uh, prayer is a discipline, and, and it is an issue that we, we want to work out. But prayerlessness in the life of a Christian is not really the core of the problem. The problem, it seems to me, is really a gospel issue. The reason we don't pray, the reason you don't pray is either that you are unaware of your need, because you think, well, I got it together, I'm okay, I'm doing all right, or you don't believe that God is really willing to meet your need, that God isn't really willing or cares enough to really help. You really don't believe the prayer is going to make a difference. Think about it. One or both of those reasons, you don't really have a need or you don't think you have a need or you really don't believe that God is willing to meet that need. That's why we don't pray. It's not a discipline issue. It's what we believe. That's the issue. Because when you really believe those two things, prayer becomes instinctive. It becomes natural as breathing. Nobody here this morning woke up at 3 a.m. and said, oops, I forgot to breathe. Nobody this week said, I, I forgot to breathe this week. I didn't breathe once. No, that's not what happens to us. We breathe in and out naturally all the time. We don't even have to think about it. Why is that? Because we have a need. It's just natural. We have a need to breathe and there is plenty of air that God has provided, so we just do it. It is a natural thing to breathe. For the Christian, it ought to be a natural thing for us to pray. Church, I don't think we're there yet. I know it. I see it in me. But I want us as a congregation to experience God in all his goodness and fullness. When I was about nine years old, uh, my parents gave me a three-volume comic book set of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen these, but about nine or ten years old, for Easter, I got this set, and I read that. And I read through those volumes probably several times. I couldn't tell you how many times, but, but I re, uh, recall going through that. And one of the great things that came out of that was it gave me a really good understanding of the history, 
how things fit together, how this story related to this, and how just the flow, I guess you'd say, of biblical history. It was, a, it was an intensely wonderful gift for my parents to give me at that, at that age. But I spent a lot of time in that. And I remember one moment, I was in the living room, and I was there. I was reading through uh, portions of, of Moses leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. And I was just amazed as I read about God's provision and his power and his defeat of the enemies and his, the wonder of who he was. I was just taken in to a point where I, I just thanked God for his goodness. I thanked him for his glory. And suddenly, and I can't even describe it, I was lost. I was just lost in amazement of his beauty, of his goodness and his glory, and, and, and just lost in wonder, as, as, as Charles Wesley says, lost in wonder, love, and praise. It was just this moment, I always think about this, when just as a young person, I, I didn't know better, I didn't have a theology to put it all together, I didn't know, but it was one of those sweet moments I will never forget when God was just so real, and I was so close to him. I, I long for those moments. I know that, yeah, we're not supposed to necessarily live on the mountaintop all the time, but, but it seems to me that sometimes we settle for so much less. And God, God really wants us, really desires for us to have. I want to give you this prayer from Habakkuk 3.2. It's one of our favorites, one of my favorites, but uh, it's one that I just want to share with you today. If you've not heard of it, it's one that I would like us to pray together. And this is what the prophet says. Oh, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. You know, that's been my prayer this week for our church. I really appreciate and so am honored, and you, I, I don't have words to express how much I appreciate your confidence in me and the fact that you've asked me to, to, to join you as a pastor here for another five years. I'm grateful for that. But I realize this too. I've been here for 28 years now and I try to plan and preach and program and try to craft better sermons and I could be here for 50 years and hopefully in those years I will do something good but goodness you know if God shows up in one moment he could do what I would take me 50 or 100 or 1500 years to do if that one moment he shows up he just changes everything and what he does will last and it will be good are you at the place this morning where you realize that all your trying all your effort all your work it isn't working in your marriage with your children in your ministry are we at that place in our church in our community 
or we've tried this, we tried that, but we're just desperate. We don't need better strategies and uh, better crafted sermons or more programs. We don't need more scholarship. We don't need another athlete who says, I'm going to be outspoken for Christ, another politician pretending to be on our side. What we need, what we really need is for Jesus to show up. We need his Holy Spirit to come where we just hunger for him, where we we long for a mighty outpouring of his spirit who can, can turn hard hearts into open ones and restore relationships and give hope and give us the assurance of forgiveness. That's what we need. what I need so this morning I've never really dealt with this passage like this this morning but I want to talk specifically about what Jesus said will happen when the Holy Spirit comes I don't think in this passage he is exhaustive but it is a beginning and it lays the groundwork for what we can expect if and when the Holy Spirit comes. And so in John 16, Jesus tells us some things that the Holy Spirit can do. And by the way, these are things that only the Holy Spirit can do. No one else. I can't do them. As your pastor, I can't do this. Uh, Your husband, wives, he can't do this for you. Husbands, your wife can't do this for you. If you're struggling, this can only be done through the Holy Spirit. This is what he can do. In John 16, verse 8, Jesus says this. And when the Holy Spirit comes, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. John, or Jesus says here, deep down there will be a conviction, something in the center of your soul that says, this is right, this is good, this is wrong, this needs to be forgotten. There is something true, there is something real, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts us of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Now what does that mean? Jesus says, so he convicts of sin. But what will that look like? Well, when the Holy Spirit comes, he he makes sin distasteful. When you begin to encounter the Holy Spirit in your life, sin loses its shine. It It just gets icky. My wife likes Brussels sprouts. How many of you like Brussels sprouts? Shame on you, sick people. <laughs> she, she baked a, or fried, or I don't know what she did, but I walked into the house and I could tell she was making Brussels sprouts that night and I was about ready to walk right back out. That's how bad the whole house smelled. I, I can't even, I can't smell it and I can't imagine trying to taste one. My, my taste buds, if I would ever have, if I'd ever want a Brussels sprout, my taste buds would have to change, literally. 
You know, when I was a, a kid, I, I didn't like broccoli. Um, uh, the uh, the texture, or maybe it was the way it was prepared, I don't know, but something has changed. The other night, Mary had broccoli, and, you know, it used to be you had to put a bunch of cheese and stuff on it just to tolerate it. That wasn't the case at all, and, and, and I enjoy it. It doesn't bother me. There's something that is different now. I, 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 I think that that's what Jesus does with our hearts. When we encounter the Holy Spirit, he, he changes our tastes. He, he changes our desires, our appetites. He changes what we like. The Holy Spirit changes our affections. So when the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, he begins to, to remind us that's not who we are. That's not what we do. And the old way of doing things is just not that comfortable anymore. That's, that's the Holy Spirit coming when he says, you know, I, I used to talk that way, but not anymore. It's the Holy Spirit who's working when I said, you know, I used to watch a show like that, but, but it doesn't appeal to me anymore. I used to live that way, but now, you know, God just has something better for me. Jesus said, he will convict the world of sin. It's, it's a sweet conviction where we repent and say, Lord, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to be different. Because the second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he convicts us of righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, it seems to me it means that, that when we look at Jesus, we will be convinced he is beautiful that it's his righteousness it's the real deal it's the real thing it's beautiful to me and, and we will want it see a lot of people I think come to church and by the way they can do this for years they come out of guilt because well that's what their spouse wants them to do or they've had a friend kind of nagging at them and they go through the motions of religion. They, they stand up, they kind of sing, they, they listen to the pastor, yada, yada. They tolerate it. Maybe they get something out of it every once in a while. Maybe, maybe they hear a message or laugh at a bad joke, but Jesus isn't beautiful. But when that moment comes, when that moment comes and the heart is changed and the eyes are open, I'm going to tell you, you won't be able to get to Christ fast enough because you will realize just how good he is, how wonderful it is to know that a sinner like me can be saved, uh, that, that he loves me and there's nothing I could do to earn that salvation, but all I have to do is receive it. He gives it because he cares about me. He loves me. He died for me and means I can live forever. Jesus becomes beautiful to you. He becomes glorious to you. He is good. Holy Spirit, this morning, wake us up out of our stupor. It was like you were dreaming, and suddenly when, when you become a Christian and you really get it and the Holy Spirit comes, suddenly you're awake and you begin to see it in a whole new way. It's all different. It's all good. It's all glorious. He put his claim on me. I'm his. It's so beautiful. 
And we come to see then that righteousness is a good thing. That's what the Spirit of God does for people. He births in them a desire for Jesus and a desire to be more like him. Again, a lot of people are like, when they think of Christianity, they think it is a have-to religion. Well, I have to do this. I have to go to church. I have to give. I have to turn off that TV show. Whatever it is, I have to do it. That shows that they've really not encountered the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God doesn't just compel us to do what is right. The Spirit, he gives you a love for what is right, and you begin to do it just naturally. In fact, you don't want to do anything else. Listen, I don't have to kiss my wife, but I get to. I don't have to eat a steak, but I get to. I don't have to take a nap this afternoon, but I get to, or I better get to. I get to be more like Jesus. I get to be more like Jesus, and that makes me happy. It makes me joy-filled. That's where the fun is. That's where the life is. That's where the hope is. I get to because of the Holy Spirit working in my life. Am I making sense? When the Holy Spirit comes, he makes sin distasteful. When the Holy Spirit comes, he, he makes Jesus beautiful. In the book of Galatians, Paul explains that the Spirit of God does in our hearts what, what the demands of the law could never do. In other words, the law can tell you what is right. It can tell you to do what is right. It doesn't mean you'll do what is right. It's only the Spirit, when he comes, that can give you a love for what is right. The Spirit gives you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The law could command it, but it's the Spirit who births it in us. So when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, he doesn't just tell you a bunch of stuff that you should be doing like a nag who just won't let you get away with anything. That's not the Spirit. No. He opens our eyes to the glory of Jesus and he reminds you of what he has done for you. He died on the cross for you. He paid your sin. He, he, there's nothing that you can do that earn, to earn his favor or his love. He's done it all. I can't fix anything, but Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. Jesus is beautiful. And now I'm free to live my life for him. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts. He convicts us of sin. Sin becomes distasteful. When the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts us of righteousness. Jesus becomes beautiful. But there's one final thing Jesus said, and Jesus said this. He convicts us of judgment. What does that mean? I think it means that eternity is always in view. We become aware that eternity, it's close. 
I realize that the trajectory of my life doesn't end with my last breath here. Oh, there's so much more than that. I want to just do something I don't normally do, but uh, I went out and bought a rope. Uh, oh, goodness. Oh, didn't go very far. I'm going to need some help here. Patty, can you help me, sweetie? I should have untied it or unknotted this. Okay. Can you take that as far as it'll go? It won't go very far because I knotted it up. Let's see. We're going to test my patience right now. And here we go. You go as far as you can. Imagine this rope was not knotted and it's going. <laughs> you're, you're doing a great job, sweetie. <laughs> there you go. You, you got it, girl. Yeah, bless her heart. She's, well, you just take it and take it and keep it going as far as it'll go that way. But imagine this rope. Thank you, sweetie. Imagine this rope represents your existence. I used this at a funeral probably four or five weeks ago, and I, it, it meant something to me as, a, as an illustration. But this keeps going, and it, and it goes outside of the building here. It goes up Great Northern into the mall, past the mall, up through uh, Westlake and Bay Village, and then into the lake. And then, of course, over on the other side of the lake, you got Canada, and then you got the North Pole, and then, or what, probably Russia. And it just keeps going and going and going, because if this, you don't have to keep going, Patty. You're fine. You're fine. You're good. You're good. Um, but, but, but it go, and this represents my existence. Because as Christians, we believe that we live forever and ever. Eternity is a very, very long time. We keep going and going and going. So this rope, it has an ending, but, but in reality, I don't and you don't. So this rope, as long as it is, is not near as long as our existence. And this red part here, what do you think that represents? Our time here on earth. Now what, what makes the most sense of what I'm going to live for? What decisions am I going to make that are going to impact this versus that? In fact, what is so weird, what is so strange to me is that a lot of us think, well, I'm going to save and save and work real hard and so that at this very end of the, you can't see that in the back, and I'm sorry, because it's so small. But at the very end of this, we want to be able to think, oh, that'll be the good life. We'll be able to travel and eat and have stuff. And, you know, we work and work and work so we can take this very little piece and think that's the important part. How foolish. How foolish. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, he reminds us that we're going to give an account. And the decisions that I'm making right now and the, the path I'm laying out makes, makes a difference for eternity. He begins to remind us that this is not all there is. There is so much more. And how is that going to work for you? And so the Holy Spirit reminds you, be concerned about this. 
And when he begins to remind you, he also says, listen, without Jesus, this doesn't go very well. But with Jesus, it's all paid for. With Jesus, you're on a trajectory that this will go better and better and glorious and glorious. When we've been there 10,000 years, we'll just begin to praise him for all that he's done. And so the Holy Spirit works, and he reminds us that eternity's close. Eternity's in view. What are you going to do about it? This morning, I want to ask you that question. Is the Holy Spirit working in you? Is the Holy Spirit allowed to change your heart? Are you willing to ask him to come? You say, well, Pastor, you've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and I'm kind of tired of it. Well, this is kind of important. Let me take you back to Habakkuk. This is a prophet 2,500 years ago. And this was his hope. This was his desire for the people of Israel. Oh, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, open our eyes that we may see you. I don't want to just hear the stories about what you did yesterday. I don't want to just recount the great things that were done in someone else's life. Give me a story to tell. Give me yourself that I might know all the fullness of the life that you offer me as a Christian. Jesus said this, if you ask, he will come. Have you really asked him? In your mercy, O Lord, let your love be known I just pray for a revival in our church. And it will only come because we asked. Will you just pray with me right now? I just want to give you a moment and have your own personal time with God is he convicting you of sin is he convicting you of righteousness Jesus beautiful is he convincing you of judgment that eternity is close and maybe this morning you just need to get right with Christ. Maybe you've been headed down the wrong path. And the Holy Spirit says, and he does it so gently. 
he does it so beautifully, kindly. But he says, I want to help you. I want to minister to you. I want to I live in you and live your life through you. Holy Spirit, do what you did. Shake this place. Shake us up. Wake us up, oh God. Wake me up from complacency and comfort to where, well, Lord, we, we would be satisfied with nothing less than the fullness of your presence. Holy Spirit, work in this church. Begin it in me. Fan the flame of truth and righteousness, mercy and glory. Lord, help us all to take stock of where we are with you, that on this Pentecost day, we might sense that we've been with him and we're going to be bold for him. Lord, consume the dross. Forgive us our sins and help us, Lord, to live differently. Jesus, your church is asking. Father, that you answer our prayers. Shake, renew, restore, revive your church, O oh Lord. We're ready. We believe. We ask this all in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.